everything is bleak It's the middle of the night You're all alone and the dummies might be right Outside the darkness lurks You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Mariko Tamaki. Uh, her latest work, um, right before we started, we are just saying, there's a lot of work. Um, one of the main things, uh, Supergirl being super, as well as uh, Louisa, which is, is that out yet from Humanoids, or it's coming out? Yeah, it's out now. It's out now. Um, and then you, we're listing off a whole bunch of other things. You have a Harlequin thing that just came out from DC. Um, it's coming out from coming DC out. in 2019. Oh, okay. And we should, I should make a differentiation when I say Harlequin also. Like, there's probably like, oh, romance novel. But it's not. It's a superhero. Comic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why my mind went there. As well <laughs> as uh, X-23, which is a Wolverine spinoff of sorts for Marvel, as well as you've been doing a lengthy She-Hulk run. Um, I had, yes. Is that complete? That is complete. Well, it's complete on my end. Okay. Um, and there's probably other stuff I'm forgetting. Oh, a Lumberjanes. You have a new Lumberjanes book coming out. Um, yep. Moon is up. Um, and that's out from Abrams. And what am I forgetting? Um, I don't know. I think that, oh, I have uh, uh, Claws, the Hunt for Wolverine, uh, the Claws of a Killer. Uh, which is like the sort of four-part series that I'm doing as part of the sort of like Hunt for Wolverine. Uh, and I'm doing one of those, and I'm doing the sort of horror comic of those with uh, Sabretooth, uh, Lady Deathstrike, and Dawkin. Dawkins' his son, right? His, like, goth son? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... So complicated, Yes. <laughs> I, I, at times, I will, like, spend some time just, like, jumping in and, like, trying to figure out the stuff, and then kind of a couple of years will go by, and then it doesn't make sense to me anymore, and then kind of jump back in. It's right. a process. Yeah, it's a journey, you know, it's a long journey. It is. Uh, and it's a journey, yes. So, um, one of the things we are talking about before we jumped in is you're mentioning kind of how a lot is coming out right now and just kind of the process of getting to this point of, cause I mean, you've been, you've got also a stack of other things you've been on. I can't remember how many times, two or three times we've met up in town. Um, yeah. For other works in the past, like uh, skim and this one summer. Um, and so you don't slow down and uh, no. I'm jealous of your um, work ethic. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it is at this point my full-time job. So I think it's a little easier. I mean, I've written when it is my, like, you know, I have a full-time job during the day and then I come home and write comics or I write comics over the weekend. And now it's, it's all I do is write comics uh, and prose. So that's, it's, it kind of allows for doing more stuff because you are, you know, that's, that's all you're doing. Um, and it's weird because sometimes I feel like I should be going to like an office. Like I, I have this like feeling sometimes like I put my knapsack by the door cause I'm expecting to go to the office <laughs> in the day. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's been like the past, I think maybe the past two years has been just like full time writing stuff for people. That's my job. Was there a point where you're like, like, what was that point for you when you're like, Oh, I don't, have to go into an office anymore like I have enough and I can take on enough well I mean I still imagine I still imagine it's kind of like a an ongoing thing you know like I I don't ever think like oh no I'll just write comics forever like it's it is for the past little bit I think when I got Tomb Raider and uh I had that for like a little while like I I knew how many issues I had and I was like oh I do this and like like you know maybe two other little things or like some small freelance jobs then I can you know this will kind of do it 
And then when I got, uh, I think I got like Supergirl shortly after that. And then when I started seeing like, oh, there's definite overlap between gigs. That's when I sort of thought like, for now, I'm not going to go. I like just left my resume on my desktop. I was like, I'll just leave that there. It's there. If I need it again, it's still there. And I'll just keep going with what this with, with keeps coming in. Um, so, yeah. Do you find, um, I'm really interested in this, like being able to like write quite a lot um, and just kind of how you balance that, that creativity of kind of keeping yourself in all these different works, um, but still kind of adhering to editorial expectations and corporate demands and stuff. Well, I think the thing is that the editorial expectations, like the sort of like the part of it that is, you know, it's a writing assignment in addition to being like a creative work it's also somebody saying to you here's where this character is here's what's happening you know you will now write something that fits into this flow of things or you will write something that doesn't have to fit into this flow of things Mm -hmm. and you have 20 pages so it really I think because there is that like you know like if someone if I was writing like four novels right now I would probably go insane but because it is like 20 pages and it has a definite deadline and there's all these kind of like parameters it makes it possible to to do more than one thing because also, you know, it's like you do a draft, you hand it in and then you don't hear back for like a week. So you have a week where you're not hearing back from like person A. And so then you start your working on your thing for person B and it kind of like works that way. Sometimes there's times when you're just like, uh, like it's, I try not to have like horror comic and like middle grade novel be the same day. I try to make that like, <laughs> separate things. And if, and if it is, I try to do horror comic second <laughs> so that I can write like story about kids at camp. And then I'll watch, like, I always say to people, like I watch the dark Knight, but it is like a really great mood focuser for me. Like just, or I'll listen to like soundtracks or nine inch nails or whatever, and then get into the mood to like do the next thing. Do you mean the dark Knight like the Batman movie? Yeah. Oh, I love that movie so much. I'm very open about the fact that I watched that movie so many oh, times. Oh no, it's all right. I'm just I'm interested in, in that part of the process. There's I I love inhaling uh, TV and movie. Yeah. Like oh. I watched American Big Brother last night. You know, like. All right. I'm I'm the last to cast any stones. Sure. I think it's also you know for me or like. I think it would probably be healthier if I went for a walk. <laughs> like if I was like, I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air, but I'm like, okay, now I'm going to like dig deeper into this hole of like the darkest part of my psyche. So that to me is like not about refreshing yourself, but about like kind of, you know, getting yourself in an uneasy state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, but it also depends. Like, like I said, like for writing something like the Lumberjanes, which is about kind of feeling open and new ideas and sort of like unexpected and a sort of very like coming up with puns. I have to go for a walk. Yeah. Because puns only come to me when I'm like eating a Danish walking around my neighborhood thinking about, you know, silly things. Kind of push away any other kind of sensory distraction. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's when puns sneak into your brain. Like I think the one that I was most proud of was that's accordion to you. And that definitely came to me. Like when I was just wandering around. <laughs> yeah. Right? So fun. So fun. And then I, like, the thing about a pun is that you want to share it with other people that you come up with it because it's so funny. But it's, you know, it's funny to you, but then you want to, so, you know, I have, I like, I can text, um, I text Brooklyn and uh, Shannon Waters, who's the editor uh, from Boom. Um, sometimes and, uh, because also because they have had to write so many puns, they can appreciate like what that is. Yeah. The piece of gold that I send them (laughs) or sometimes they don't like it. Then I'm like, this is really good. Do they ever just, do they ever just groan really hard? Everybody groans. Part of my job recently is going and talking to elementary school, you know, not elementary school, but like, you know, grade school kids right yeah. like grade five and we talk to them about puns because it's an easy thing to sort of share with like younger audiences 
And kids grown, kids are so unimpressed by puns. I've never had a little kid laugh at a pun. They're always like, Ugh. <laughs> always. One of the things I was thinking about um, is kind of how to stay present and connecting with younger folks. Yeah. Um, especially doing like, you know, kids and YA. Like, how, how do you connect with teens? How do you still connect with teens? I think that, I mean, I think it's a tricky thing because I think YA is one of the few, I don't know. I mean, I haven't written a lot of adults, so I don't know what that's like. Um, and actually, I would be curious to find out. But I do think with YA, there is this sort of sense of like, you need to you need to t- talk to the kids, like you need to appeal to the kids. Yeah. Um, and I have found that that is a very like unclear area to me because kids are so different. Like, I did not like the things that my peers liked. Yeah. Like as soon as we got out of like flowers in the attic, I sort of distanced myself from my peers' tastes. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't like this. I kind of went my own way. So I feel like I, I like, like because the idea of appealing, talking about appealing to kids, is about talking about appealing to a mass audience, and that to me is very weird. I don't understand how you would do that. Um, so to me, I try to focus on being as true to the character as possible and not thinking about how it would appeal to kids. Because I think that that is, yeah, I think it's I think it's a construction, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, it's like somebody was saying like, oh, well, kids really want to hear about romance. And it's like, I'm sure they do, but I'm sure there are some other kids who don't. And, you know, the idea of like what kids like, I think is very diverse. So, yeah, I think by trying to ignore that as much as possible, like, I think the thing is like with writing the Lumberjanes, um, because the books themselves are such perfect worlds in and of themselves, I don't worry about those books appealing to younger readers. I worry about staying in the parameters of that world. Being true to the... Being true to that world yeah. and not necessarily like, oh, are kids going to think this is fun? Um, because, you know, I, yeah, again, like, it just sort of seems like so amorphous and like, I don't know. Like when you also ask kids what they like, they're very vague about it. Yeah. You're like, what do you like to read? They're like, um, like I did think when I wrote the first book, I wanted to write about unicorns um, because I also like unicorns. But also I did have this sense of like, the unicorn seems like it'll be a good idea. You know, unicorns are cool. People like unicorns. But then I just went my own way with it. Like the unicorns in, in the book are smell disgusting. Um, <laughs> like they all smell like old tuna fish and socks and stuff like that. That's not majestic. Um, no. And when I say that to kids, kids are super pissed about it. <laughs> but it's engaging. So that's fine. There's like a genuineness that you're trying to sustain. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, but also the thing about genuineness is that you can't think about being genuine because that's immediately false. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, as soon as you say to yourself, I'm being really genuine right now, but it's like, no, it's like telling someone you're super humble. Like, it's not, it doesn't work. So you have to kind of just try to focus on something else. So I try to focus on like, um, like I, this third Number chain book is called The Good Egg, and it's about Ripley and Barney. And I just tried to focus on telling a really great story about these characters that have been sort of peripheral in the books, uh, as opposed to like, is this a story that's going to appeal to kids and make them understand X about Y? I just kind of left that out, or didn't worry about it. Is there something you want to get um, as far as like connecting with kids um, through your work, like having something for them to? Um kind of see for themselves in um i mean i certainly am bringing my own uh sort of ideologies about it to these books so i think that the idea that there are always more options than the ones that are immediately presented to you is really important Mm -hmm. like more options about how you have to be you like you know if you don't like something that's okay you know like, it's the that's okay uh, approach to writing about kids. It's kind of my thought. I think because also, like, when I was reading, when I was a kid, there was really not that much around. And I would read Sweet Valley High 
And I was like, I am not worried about the things that these characters are worried about. Um, or, you know, I am not like these characters. Uh, and I think the thing that I love about the Lumberjanes is that there's so many different people in the books that it sort of gives you a spectrum of like, hey, there's a bunch of ways to deal. Like everything that comes up in the book, every character has their, their own reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no one way. Like you can be freaked out or you can be super excited or you can be kind of just like mildly amused by it. All of these things are possible reactions and all of these are, reactions are fine. So presenting that sort of thing is probably the thing that I'm sort of putting forward the most. One of the things I was thinking of reading your work is the, especially like the, the superhero stuff is uh, their kind of humanness to it and how they're kind of people living in a world and less of like this, like all encompassing bash, bam, boom type thing. <laughs> Although I do like that. <laughs> I do like sound effects that go with punching. I do like those. The Amanatopia. Oh, I mean, <laughs> we spent so long once. There was a scene where She-Hulk jumps off of a building and lands. Like, she sort of jumps off in her human form and lands in her Hulk form. Um, but and I, we were sort of sitting there looking at the picture like, what's the sound effect that goes with She-Hulk landing on a concrete floor? You know, like crack? But we were like, there's no cracks in the ground. Like, womp? Like, what goes with that? <laughs> Those are things that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I was like, well, she's wearing sneakers, so she has, like, cushioned, you know, her landing, so I don't know. Yeah. Did the sneakers survive the landing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're stretched out, obviously, but they're still there. <laughs> um, super I mean, gr- I, think, I think, just to answer your question, I think that's that uh, these characters are like a form of human, right? Like, yeah. so I think for me, or, you know, or not human, but I think for me, the main thing is that if you try to think of like the details in each moment, and those are the things obviously that I'm fascinated by. That's what I'm trying to put in there as much as possible. Like what does she have for breakfast or, you know, like what is, what is going on for a character in a moment, I think is like an extra layer that you can put in there. The friendship component seems really important, especially in Supergirl. Oh, yes. Yes. That's actually a funny story because I wanted it to be a relay team. Um, a sort of like a Prefontaine, because I'd been watching <laughs> my girlfriend, Heather Gold, who's an incredible performer and writer also, uh, had me watching all these old movies and Prefontaine was one of them. Um, so I was like, okay, I want them to be a relay team. So there'll be like five friends or like four friends. And then the editors were like, that's too many. And I was like, you don't know. You can have as many friends as you want. I was like, I'm a high right YA. I was like, I will tell you how many friends is too many friends. And they were like, maybe it should just be two. That's like a nice balance. And I was like, no, has to be like, you know, three or four, whatever it was. And I was really rude to them. <laughs> and then I like thought about it and I was like, oh yeah, except this is like sort of like, it will be clearer what the friends mean in her life if there's only two of them. Mm-hmm. So I called them back and I was like, I'm really sorry. I was really rude, <laughs> defensive. I'm sorry. This is good. You guys are smart. This will work. Um, and it worked out really well. Like this idea of like family and also how your friends are both your family and also, you know, the people that you look to when you're trying to figure out how you should deal with something mm-hmm. or, you know, like, or how you should approach something uh, and having also, I love a balance of friends where they're not all the same person. Yeah. They're, um, oh God, there, there's something I was going to say is kind of how your friends um, know you better than you know yourself. Yes. Oh, for sure. And you also, you know, like, your friends are a reflection a little bit of parts of you, right? Of your insecurities and of your, like, it's a chance for you to talk about your insecurities while talking about someone else's stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really wanted, you know, for, because it's so much a book about, a person trying to decide how much of themselves that they can reveal 
and sort of like pursuing, you know, something that's kind of outside the bounds of what's expected, i.e. being a superhero and an alien, you know, to have one friend who is super weird and totally embracing of that. And one friend who is much more conservative uh, and has, but also is someone who is a hundred percent pursuing their goals in life. Mm-hmm. Like even as like a teenager is like, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. So to have like kind of all of those messages in her sort of view as she's trying to make her own decision. I think my favorite part of the book was the super zit. I <laughs> <laughs> was in my pitch. I was like, uh, I was like, she's an adolescent. So let's like, let's make this a book about a teenage superhero. Like let's make that a part of the story because so many teenage, like, you know, you can have Supergirl and it's like, why is she Supergirl versus Superwoman? You know what I mean? Like, what's the difference between her and an adult The thing that's like, let's use all those things that actually make you a teenager and make sure that those are part of the story. Um, and, uh, I was like, let's give her like, what is the most adolescent thing? It's like, you know, puberty, like, let's give her like this kind of false puberty, like alien puberty. Uh, and I, like, I think I, I told my girlfriend Amelia, I was like, I wanted to have a huge alien zit. Like that was like the first thing I was like, Let's build a story around Kara has a huge alien set. And it was, I was like, I'm, we're going to put it like right in the beginning. It's going to be like immediate. And uh, it was so much fun. And Joelle sent me, um, Joelle Jones, who's the illustrator, it was incredible, um, sent me uh, this, like a gif of these like zit cupcakes. <laughs> I think it's like a kind of message of like, you're making me look at all this stuff so I can draw this thing. So you have to look at something gross too. I love it. My girlfriend <sighs> will watch those zip popping videos. I will not do it. Uh, I mean, I don't watch those videos. I just wanted to write it. I didn't even want to look at it. Although I <laughs> love, cause I said in the script, I was like, it should be like a, like an explosion. And then Andrew Marino and Paul Kaminsky and I were talking about what color, the um the zit material should be (laughs) and they were like is it green is it blue and i was like honestly because i want this to be sort of like a human-y thing like a little bit human i was like it should be just like white (laughs) just like oh my god um yeah it was amazing uh so that was super fun and i think it's yeah kelly fitzpatrick uh, is the colorist and um, she did an incredible job. Actually, it's really amazing. Like I am slowly coming to understand like, or like read the color in comics more. Um, and she really like created this kind of like Supergirl like undertone in the way she colored everything around Kara so mm-hmm. that it's there, but she's not wearing the uniform. You yeah. know what I mean? Which I really... Uh, I really enjoyed that. Well, you had the one scene in the the um, the race where you kind of like give a little nod to it, yeah, and just kind of move on. Yeah, exactly. Because I was like, where would she get the uniform? Like, she has her cape, but yeah, everything else should just be, you know, that she's dressed like a teenager. Yeah. Well, it's not even about like it's a Supergirl story set in just like a real. I don't know. There's something about it that felt just very um, honest to me, and just kind of like I said before, like that human aspect to it, where it's just it's just about how people interact in tough situations and kind of support each other and don't support yeah. each other. Yeah, and I was really inspired by um, like one of the like Ms. Marvel and also um, uh, Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Like reading those comics, I was like, yeah, like these very human this very human voice these very like human interactions combined with superhero feats it's like to me that's like golden that's like my that's the sort of standard that i would love to like achieve because i think that those are such great like that to me is what i love so that's what i sort of aspire to um one of the things i was thinking about is also um 
kind of how trauma is a part of a lot of these characters. Sure. Especially with She-Hulk um, and a little bit of what Supergirl goes through. And yeah. Especially with She-Hulk, um, kind of how you understand trauma is kind of a part, core part of that character and how that character works through it. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that was what was presented to me. When when they originally came to me with this, like, She-Hulk story, that was sort of what they were looking for. Um, and that made sense to me. And also, I think, just in general, I think there is this sort of move towards, like, even if you just look at the Marvel movies, right, this idea of consequence and repercussions mm-hmm. that that are connected to, you know, big earth-shaking things happening, like personal big earth-shaking things and, like, actual earth-shaking things leave in their wake people who have been through those things and lost people. And, like, I think, you know, the idea of loss is something that is more and more discussed and the idea of, like, you know, the personal things we carry with us as a result of our experiences is something, you know, it's like we're, like, the first like the number of people in our generation that have been to therapy compared to like one generation before us, like it just doubles every generation. Right. So the idea that you could say to somebody like, Oh yeah. Like I, like part of my reaction to this is because of this thing happened 10 years ago. Like, I think if you said that to someone 20 years ago, they'd be like, right. Okay. You know, whatever. But now it's kind of understood. Yeah. Um, So I like the idea of, and also having a character who has this incredibly, you know, potent manifestation of being traumatized. Like, and also the idea that trauma changes those things. So this thing that she used to feel powerful in this like body that she once, once felt powerful is now connected to this tremendous loss, like this loss of this person who's incredibly important to her and how frustrating it is to have those things be true. Like something that you love becomes something that is so toxic. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that the the solution to that is not to run away from it and be like, well, just never be that thing again. But you have to run towards it. Which meant to me, like sort of signaled like that she will go back to that thing. Like she's not just going to be like, I'm just a lawyer now. Like that's not going to (laughs) happen. But she's going to have to like sort of run back into the into the fire a little bit to to be who she is. Now, one of the things we were talking about before we jumped into the interview and um, we talked about online was um, certain things we connect with um, yes. when we're young, as you were connecting with young folks through your work. Um, <laughs> and so I'm wondering how that filters through with uh, work that you connected when you were young and uh, the kind of icons um, that you latch on to with that. I mean, I'm a Canadian, so it goes directly from, you know, Anna Green Gables, uh, then uh, Timothy Finley, you know, Alice Monroe, Margaret Lawrence, and then directly to Kids in the Hall. That's like my, that was my path. That was where I, that's from whence I come, is Kids in the Hall, basically. Um, it's, int- it's, I love talking to folks about Kids in the Hall. Um, one of the things one person I was talking to about it is just like how it was like an example of um, queer culture without all the baggage that went with it in the 90s of like the trauma and stuff. But it's, I mean, I think the thing that I love about Scott Thompson's work, uh, will always love about Scott Thompson's work, is that the trauma and the the baggage was there. Yeah. You know, like he was in this bar uh, talking about, you know, making light of things. And obviously, like, I loved his, like, his story of his history. <laughs> his parents were diamond thieves, I think. <laughs> uh, but it was, like, acknowledging, like, you know, a story about queer culture and this very exaggerated thing. But also, I think it was, you know, it was not denying the sort of complexity. Or, yeah. or you know his part of it obviously that's all queer culture but I mean I wasn't out when I started watching it and I was just completely fascinated by because the only other thing I had had you know really up until that point was um you know like that bit in like delirious and like the Eddie Murphy you know impersonations of gay men in his 
stand up, oh, right? Yeah. So to have someone take that thing, which was like also to have like this like like very effeminate sissy person, like really embracing that as like part of what made him powerful was like just like an incredible thing to me. Yeah. Also, just in general, I loved. Um, I mean, I just loved all of the kids in the hall, like their little parables of like, I have five things on my list I have to do today. Like I still, when I have a list of like five things to do today, I hear Kevin McDonald's voice in my head. <laughs> Cause that is just so ingrained. And actually I, um, I think when I was, I mean, I've seen them live. Like I went to a tour, uh, with my friend Zoe Woodall and we went to this, uh, like it was when they sort of did their first reunion tour and we were in the back and we knew all the words to all the bits and we were so loud saying the bits <laughs> that the people in front of us, the Canadians in front of us, and it must've been a big moment because they actually said something out loud. They were like, Hey, we didn't come here to listen to you guys. And we were like, <laughs> we're like, listen, we're watching the kids in the hall. We have been watching these saves every day. Like, you know, cause we had them like record on VHS or whatever. Like just obsessed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whenever I hand someone a pen and they don't yes. give it back, like, excuse me, you've, um, you've got my pen. Can I, can I have my yeah. pen back? Just that they were also so willing to go, like, that, that line of, like, being completely over the top and cinematic and, you know, exaggerated, but also with these characters that felt like real people. Like, the absurd and the real together is such an incredible thing, right? Like, and the idea of balancing, the idea that something can be more than one thing is really great. I think it's a good message to sort of put across. Also, like, you know, I think I was watching Kids in the Hall. I was watching, you know, stuff on the CBC. And I was also living in a town where, like Toronto, where it was like, oh, do you want to put on a play? Oh, well, then just go put on a play. Like, like the idea that things were within your reach was always a message that I had as a young artist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's like, there's something very Canadian about that notion of like, Oh, just, you know, you can make one of these things. It's like the great white North. Yeah. Just put your friend down next to you and get a bunch of beers and then get like a, like a old projector screen and <laughs> paint a logo on it. And you have a show like SCTV, right? Like that element of art that you didn't have to have like, like that I did not aspire when I was a kid to make a million dollar movie. Yeah. I was like, Oh, you can have like your version of things. Like see, that's amazing. Seize the means of production. Yeah. Um, when I was probably 15, 14 or 15, I lived in Toronto for a brief time and, uh, went to Jarvis, um, for a couple of months, the, one of the high schools there. And it was really close to the, the, the gay neighborhood um and seeing where the actual steps were it yes. was like and, and it's like that that's it that's the sketch right there like yeah and it kind of blew my mind it was like oh and then seeing you know different locations um that i recognize from the show right well and i think also that inspired me to um when i was in my last year of high school we would go and see uh improv on queen street all the time uh, I had a friend who was like a super nerd and, you know, we would read like um, this magazine and stuff like that, like all of these things that were produced in Toronto. And, you know, I saw like I was obsessed with Marin Cadell and I would go and see Marin Cadell perform like who is yeah. that? Oh, Marin Cadell uh, uh, wrote this song called The Sweater. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you two are a much, much music sensation. Yes. I was, uh, when I was in high school. Yeah. Awesome. They're amazing. Yes. I love it. Um, when one of the things, um, I wanted to talk about was specifically the research books. Um, cause you would post yes. on Instagram. Um, and for me, that was a really big thing, uh, especially the first Angry Women. I can't remember, was it Angry Women in Rock or just Angry Women? Um, angry Women. And the 
and um, I don't know how old you were when you came across those books. Um, I don't remember. Um, but I remember when I was in university, everybody had that in their living room. Yeah. You know, like it was just always there. And uh, it was kind of like a like a touchstone, you know, like everybody had them. I don't know if touchstones are a word people don't use anymore, but it was like this thing that people just had in their living rooms everywhere. Um, and it was also kind of like the thing I loved about it was it kind of was like, Oh, here's who are, here's who our famous people are. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like here's, it was, it was the first sense I had of like an alternative level of celebrity of like people who were famous or people who were important Outside of just like, because I also grew up on Entertainment Tonight, so it was like my introduction to like this idea of like, oh, there's like a whole other realm that is ruled by these people, where there's a whole other discussion happening, and especially for have to have it be angry women, which I thought was really amazing too. Like, not just like important women, but like angry women. I thought that was really cool. One of the the amazing things about that book is how um, the interviewer was able to have such raw conversations with these women as well. Like be able to talk about amazingly private, personal things and have them be so open and cover so much um, breadth of information and sharing it there and kind of understanding these icons in a different way. Yeah. Well, and also that, the art that was kind of coming out at that time, especially sort of like early feminist art was intensely personal. It was about sort of this whole other layer of experience that had been kind of ignored for so long. So yeah, like that there was something like powerful in, in being that personal, which I think, yeah. I mean, I also, like it made perfect sense to me. Like that book also connects up with like the zine culture. That was a huge part of, like the group that I was hanging out with at the time and also like the spoken word scene, you know, like going to, it wasn't like a rare thing to like go to a stage and have someone like talk about like a horrible thing that had just happened to them like five minutes earlier that they had like written about on the bus. And then they were like sharing with you like that, mm-hmm. you know, that there was something about, cause also I think it redefined art. I think when I was a teenager, art was like this very, like was novels. It was like literature, very like untouchable, you know, crafted, you know, impactful things in that way. And then to have this whole teenage university experience where art was also expression and an immediate expression of something that was happening like right now, which I think is more and more part of, you know, the current sort of sphere of that art is taking place in. Did you ever, did you see the, um, the punk singer documentary, the Kathleen Hanna one? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I I found that, I mean, it's an amazing documentary, um, but it's interesting to see just like how, um, the kind of growth and kind of continuous battle with some of these things and kind of pushing forward ideas. And I don't know what I'm saying. I mean, I think that's also an interesting notion of like, you know, like, like conflict goes with change. Like that is, that's the way, you know, there's no problem until you have, there's no problem as long as everyone agrees that the status quo is the status quo. Uh And then you have a group that says, well, that's not actually true or that's not our experience or that's actually really oppressive to us. That's when you get conflict. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting to see how, because, you know, conflict evolves because, you know, other things surface and can be acknowledged to be true. Like, you know, it's like a constantly shifting ground. And I think it's amazing to have people like Kathleen Hanna, you can see like her evolution as like now as like a, you know, and as, as an, a mature recording artist from somebody who was just like, not was just, but like, you know, at one point was at protests, yeah. you know, like in garages. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Yeah. There's something in, the, in the, one of the Latigra lines about apologizing for not going to someone's benefit or something. And just about <laughs> how, like, it is a constant thing and just the expectations that folks 
have of you um, to kind yeah. of be this figurehead. I saw her perform with Julie Ruin uh, not long after the Trump got elected, and it was probably the most heartbreaking concert I'd ever seen. Right. And it was it was amazing, but it's just like hard to see an artist just so raw on stage in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, you know, for me, a lot of that stuff is really inspirational. Like I, on the one hand, there's that kind of like, like I said, like Nine Inch Nails is definitely like a way, because it was like my teenage angry music. It's like my way to like sort of tap into that, but also definitely uh, La Tigra and Julie Ruin um, and the, that, that music is obviously also, yeah, brings up a lot of stuff for me. Do you find tapping into angry teenage yourself um, work into your work? Not even necessarily oh, sure. angry self, but that teen self, like how you kind of filter that for the work you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's, I mean, also angry, angry adult Mariko is also helpful. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes she chimes in with the things that she's pissed about too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly... Like, I, I mean, <laughs> I used to say that there's a part of me that sort of stunted emotional growth, which is the reason I still have this job, which is that, you know, there's a part of me that is like a, still like a teenager. But I think that's just sort of generally true. Like, you always have some connection to the sort of younger part of yourself that has like a, you know, different kind of emotional palette. Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that I think the thing is to be aware of it and not necessarily like indulging it outside of that. <laughs> I mean, cause you can't be like, Oh, listen, I have to write YA. So I'm just going to be really immature today. Like that doesn't fly. <laughs> you have to like, you have to, I think it's, I think it's also, you know, I don't think that there's, I mean, I know a lot of adults who would say that they're very mature people who I would also say like, don't tell me you don't have like a angry 12 year old inside of you too. You know, like all of us have that part of ourselves. that's like frozen from whatever crappy thing happened. Um, and the trick is to be aware of it. And I think the more you're aware of it, the more you can, the more you can sort of draw on as, as a resource. I remember I visited a friend in March, stayed at their house for a couple of days. And they're like, I just gonna let you know, I'm going to be watching a lot of garbage TV and like how that was like something they like had kept to themselves. And it was like, it's all good. We all watch garbage TV. Oh, we sure. All need that time, you know. And oh, and I think you know, like, it's super interesting. Like, the idea of like being obsessed with a television program, like, I feel like that just kind of came into, like, as a thing. I think only really sort of came about more when I was like in my university years. Like, I didn't know a lot of kids who were like. I knew kids who watched soap operas, but like the idea of being like a nerd obsessed with something I felt wasn't cool until I got to university and became obsessed with the X-Files. <laughs> um, and that was like the first time that I met other people who were obsessed with the X-Files uh, and none of us had cable. So we were like a roving band of like <laughs> scully freaks. They were like, let us in your house. Do you have channel 23? We must watch it. Like it was like a thing. Um, but now, like, you can be, like, a kid and be like, I'm really into the Lifetime Network. That's kind of my jam. Like, you know, and that's kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Was it they did the Save by the Bell biopic? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I love traveling in part because I don't have cable. And so when I get to go to a hotel, I'm like, what's happening on Lifetime? Like, like a Forged in Fire, like that TLC show, I think it is, about making art, like, making weapons. Like with like uh like metal weapons, oh my god, I love that show so much. <laughs> I can only watch it when I'm when I'm on the road. I think the History Channel has it actually, and it's just like guys with mustaches being like, uh, "I made this sword in my backyard, and uh, here's the history of swords." I love that. <laughs> I think that's so great. I have no desire because I don't like really hot things like to do anything like that, but I'll watch them for hours. Like I've missed meals because I'm like oh my god there's another episode oh my god that's great I'm just gonna eat a bag of chips and stay in my room <laughs> my girlfriend's so all about the survivalist shows 
Yeah, I mean, that's I, I don't like watching people in that sort of night vision TV. So that that's not of interest to me. But if you if there's a reality competition, then I'm I'm there, <laughs> especially something that involves even more geekery, like not just that you are like a reality TV geek, but that you are somebody who is also obsessed with like medieval weapons and also obsessed with being able to make those things. Like that's like a, you know, fourth degree like level of nerd that I'm like, just like that. I love that. There was, there, there's a couple of different ones she watched, which were kind of amazing. One was like where people had like a compound and they were like, re like, living a reality show life of like what's it like in the apocalypse and they would have yeah. like people come in and attack the compound and like how they would respond also there's a canadian one i think it's canadian where they sent two couples an older couple and a younger couple out into the ontario wilderness to establish a farm and build a cabin and raise animals with only what would be available to like people in the 1600s or whatever it is. Oh no. Like, yeah. Like to build a plow, uh, and you know, build a cabin and build a farm and be eaten to death by black flies. And there was an episode where the guy got a toothache. And so they brought in <laughs> the equipment that would have been available <laughs> to somebody <laughs> in like the 1600s. And I was like, this show is so amazing. <laughs> I don't think they used it, but they were like, uh, just, just so you know, this is what they would have used. And I was like, the guy is so hardcore. I think he was like, you know, use it. But they were like, no, 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 well, you know, we don't want you to die of a toothache. Um, but yeah, like that, that level of commitment is, and capturing that level of commitment on TV is the best. Love it. I love it. There was another yeah, so one then. where people had to have a bug out bag, like, or they had their like, what happens when, you know, it all goes to shit. And so they would have their bug out bag and their whole plan and they'd get like two hours into it and just be like, give up. And they just couldn't handle it. And they had this like amazing idea of how they would survive when, you know, everything went wrong. Right. You know, uh, the, how tough are you in a completely fictional situation? Yeah. <laughs> is the, is the benefit of so many shows. It's like fear factor, right? When they were like, we're going to put you in a situation that is really scary, but you're not going to die. But it's really, really scary. You know, like. Yeah, but these people, like, that's their thing. It's like they were prepared. Like, right. they, they knew the end was coming and they had this plan. They had, like, a car stashed, you know, three miles out of town. And wow. they're, like, trying to walk to the car, and they're just exhausted, and they're eating their special protein bars after, like, walking for two hours, and just, like, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And you're watching this guy being filmed, and you're, like, eating your hot dog, like, what's that guy? You're, like, oh, that guy's surviving the apocalypse. Don't bother him. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know? <laughs> like, what? So good. Because also, the part of those shows that I love is that you have to put yourself in the mindset that, like, this is real. Yeah. You know? So good. So good. I love it. Um, now, one of the things uh, we should mention um, that you're working on is your uh, DC Inc. and DC Zoom. Yes. And so these are like YA lines Impress. at DC? Yeah. So DC Inc. is the YA imprint, and DC Zoom is the middle grade. And uh, they recently announced all the different books that they're doing. So, um, uh, like, oh my gosh. Shay, uh, Shay Fontana, who did the, the DC, oh, what are they called? The, she did another book, which is, unfortunately, the name is, like, totally escaping me now. Like, the DC Superheroes book for, like, little, like, a little kid's book that she did. Like a Teen um, Titans type thing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What's it called? Uh, and the idea is that uh, it's going to be books that are superhero girls, DC superhero girls. Okay. Um, so she did those books. She's doing, I think, a Batman book. Uh, and she's also doing like a sort of also a middle grade book. Um, but the idea is, you know, to launch a YA line for DC Comics readers, for young DC Comics readers and old, uh, that is using their characters. So I am doing a book um, called Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, which is with uh, Steve, Steve Pugh. 
who comic book fans will know from his work uh, on the Flintstones comics. And Animal Man. Um, yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> uh, so it's sort of like a, all of them are out of continuity. So they're just sort of like the books in and of themselves. Um, so I'm writing a Harley Quinn book about uh, sort of like her origin story, uh, which uh, places her in like a house of drag queens. Um, Cause I was like, where would you get amazing style <laughs> to be like Harley Quinn? Why not? If you were living with a bunch of drag queens. Um, it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been really interesting because I think it is, you know, it's the people that they're pairing up, they're pairing up, you know, a couple like Meg Cabot and uh, I can't remember the name of the illustrator that Meg Cabot is working with. Um, but I have great hopes for it. And I think it's going to be super interesting to see, like the sort of new line of books coming out, mm-hmm. you know? And there's a big push behind it. Um, yes. It sounds like. Yeah. Yes, there is, which is great. Um, so yes, Lori Halls Anderson is doing a book. Lauren Miracle is doing a book. Uh, Cami Garcia is doing a teen Titans book. Um, yeah. Cool. Meg Cabot is doing the black canary. Um, and it's going to be really cool. And the, some of the stuff you have uh, right now, we're mentioning uh, Louisa, which is an adaptation that you scripted. Yeah, so it's uh, called Louisa Then and Now, and it's out from Humanoids. And it is, uh, this sort of story is, oh my gosh, I'm just making sure. That, I'm like typing things in as we're talking so that I make sure that I get everybody's names right. As Carol Morrell is the writer and illustrator. And so Carol wrote this book. It is in French. And so somebody illustrated it or sort of translated it from French to English. And then I was given that translation. And I was asked basically to uh, just like give it like a little bit of like a, like I said, it's kind of like adjusting the the silverware on the table. Yeah. Like I'm not coming up doing anything in terms of the story, but like, like uh there were like a lot of like exclamation marks which i think are sort of more standard maybe in uh french than in english so there was a lot of just kind of adjusting things so that they sounded so that there was no sort of i think the idea with the translation is you don't want to think that you're reading a translation yeah so it was really just kind of you know smoothing things out a little bit which was actually a really interesting project and i'd never done it before um but to make sure like you're staying true to the original text, um, but also just, yeah, like just sort of fighting the seams a little bit. Is there something to learn from reading someone else's, like rewriting someone else's writing? Well, not rewriting, just smoothing. There we go. Um, I think the thing that is, I mean, one thing I was like, I really hope that, that people cared as much when they translated um, Julian and I's books into French that they were thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it is interesting to see this is sort of the differences, you know, in this like expressiveness between languages. Um, and it was just also really interesting to sort of, it was like, get, I like to sort of get a chance to kind of look at a book and see, you know, that, that sort of process, like to see the translation and then to sort of see how it changed a little bit between mm-hmm that translation and, and what I, the sort of final text after we had all had worked on it. Um, and I mean, it was, you know, like obviously it's an honor to work on anybody's book and to be asked to work on anybody's book is a huge honor and it makes you feel like they trust that you're not going to mess it up. So I kind of tried to imagine that Carol was in the room kind of like watching me work, like don't mess up my book. And I was like, I will not mess up your book. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is funny because people have been posting constantly. They're like, look at this new book that, Mariko Tamaki wrote, and I'm like, I did not write it. Yeah. Like, you know, do your research. I didn't write it. Uh, and it's just, like, incredibly, like, you know, it's like when someone says, like, you know, oh, this book was written by, you know, any comic that's, like, written by Mariko and illustrated by someone else. It's like, there is still not, like, that kind of nuanced language of, like, this is a book by two people. Yeah. Comics are, if, if there are two people working on a comic, it is a book by two people. And in this case, it's not even me. I'm not the writer of the book. <laughs> I'm like, I did not write this. 
There is an interesting craft to um, bringing different languages to another language. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Kim Thompson, the much-missed uh, Fanographics publisher, he translated a lot of stuff, and he did some interesting writing about trying to translate uh, Jacques Tardy work and finding, like, the words that mean something in French, but what does that mean in English, and finding the right, right. way to work with that in English. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting with a comic because with a comic you have the illustration, right? Like you have the um, like in, in like the case of using like exclamation marks. Like if you have a character yelling on the page, like what does it mean to add an exclamation mark? Like when someone is yelling versus when someone is just emphatic. Like when do you need it and when do you not? Um, and also just like. Like there's like, you know, like our level of anger or frustration, right? Like if I feel like if, like if you already have so much emotion coming out of the illustration, you kind of want to match it, but not overblow it with the text. Yeah. So it was about trying to make sure to stay sort of true to what you were seeing as well um, and not like contradicting it unless like it was specifically called for to contradict it. But Louise is very much like a, it is sort of like a, there's no like contradicting, you know, narrative in the book. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really fun. And also just like, it was, I mean, it's a really, it's a very sort of like freaky Friday, you know, queer story, which I really, you know, I'm obviously down with that too. So that <laughs> also I just wanted to say, cause I just found the name, the black canary book is called black canary ignite and the illustrator is Kara McGee. Um, and actually all of the, I think it's, I'm really excited to see all of the illustrators that are working on this project and also the people who are, you know, coming into this project. I'm very excited about the whole thing. Nice. And that's going to be out in the new year? I think it is. I think it's October 2019 okay. is oh, when wow. that was out. And uh, my book with Steve is out. It's definitely 2019. Yeah. Um, and art, I mean, I keep getting the pages you know, like this is the amazing thing about working in comics is that you get these emails with these incredible pages of artwork and the pages of this Harley Quinn book are like paintings. Like they're so unbelievable and nobody else can see it, but you and like one other person. So it's like this secret that you constantly have in your email box and you just want to go on Twitter and it sounds so lame to be like, you guys, it is so good. Like, when I can't show you, but it's so good. <laughs> With a book like that, uh, did you do a full script or are you kind of yeah. like, okay. I mean, I did a full script in so much as uh, I did with sort of my standard full script, uh, which is, you know, because you have a, ultimately you have a page limit. Um, you're going sort of page by page and uh, trying to keep the sort of basics of like what's happening as opposed to like what the person, I don't need to tell Steve what to draw because yeah. he's obviously an incredibly smart person. Um, and I don't like to do that anyway. Um, but I tried to stay like mindful of like, this has to fit on a page. Uh, and also like ultimately kind of keeping the script a little bit loose so that if he needs to make it more than one page, that there's space to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering about that process of kind of like learning um, working with an artist and kind of learning their strengths and kind of where, where they excel and kind of how you change. Um, yeah. Well, which is why I think it's interesting because uh, I found that like the first issue is kind of like the, you're not really sure. Like working with Juan Cabal on X23, you know, like the first issue when I started to see what he was going to do, I was like, oh, you know, like, it's always like a pleasant surprise when you're like, oh, mm -hmm. he's, he's making amazing choices. And so then the next scripts start to become more of a conversation where you're like, this is what I'm thinking. I like, there was like a page where I was like, I just want this to be like a, you know, double page spread where we have like this conversation happening in this way. And I think it would be interesting if this is like, you know, some, so many pages. So do whatever you want to do. Um, I don't think that's giving anything away. I don't know if Marvel, you're not supposed to give anything away. <laughs> you worked together on something and you collaborated. I think that's okay. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but it is interesting how it, like, you know, with Supergirl too, like, 
you sort of see what it's going to become when you start seeing the sketches coming in. And I like having, I now I'm getting used to, or have gotten used to this idea of issues because, you know, by the second issue, you're like, okay, now we can see where we can really have fun yeah. with something that you like to do. So I feel like, I mean, I will say like the first issue of X23 is so, um, like I had sort of seen Juan's sketches, so I and I knew that he obviously knows how to illustrate this character. Um, so it was super. I'm really, really happy with how everything works so incredibly well, and it's such a like relief when you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome <laughs> because this person has like a plan, and then all you need to do is really just kind of like work with that plan. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I've been very lucky. Yeah. I work with so many. I also just, uh, uh, Rosemary Valero O'Connell, uh, is doing, um, our next book together, which is called Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Um, we're in the sort of like final editing stages and she is just an incredible artist and it's been amazing to watch her. And I just got this book and it's stunning. Uh, so I'm very excited for people to see that too. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Yes. And taking the time out of your busy schedule, as it sounds like you have a lot of writing on your. I do. I have to go. I have to write like a like a like. I have to do so much writing this afternoon. So (laughs) this is all talking, and I have to like stop talking and write for the rest of the afternoon. But I'm glad that we got to talk. I always obviously love talking with you about stuff, as you know. Well, thank you. Reminder, folks. uh, Marie Kotemaki will be at Comic Con coming up what's that that the 18th or 21st or something like that yeah i think so um and then you'll be busy writing for the rest of the year Um, right yeah no thank you so much thank you
head hurts and sometimes my stomach hurts and I guess that it won't be long before I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of people whose necks and backs are aching whose sight and hearing is fading who just can't seem to get it up speaking of hearing I can't take too much loud music I mean I like to play it but I sure don't like to rack it noise but I can't hear anything just guitars screaming 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 some guy screaming in a leather jacket wow 